G'day, this is an abridged version of the episode that you can hear in full by signing up at uncomfortableconversations.substack.com slash subscribe. Enjoy the freebie. G'day, humans. Welcome to Safe Space for Dangerous Ideas. Uh, And I'm currently huddled in a a nook at an airport, uh, Denver Airport, in the, uh, the beautiful Rockies, the Rocky Mountain West, as we call it, or I call it that. Someone else might as well. Uh, This is the kind of uh, humiliation and indignity that I routinely endure in my uh, my service to you, my dear listener, even more dear if you're a paid subscriber. Uh, See, I'm uh, I'm on holiday. Well, I'm uh, I'm really bringing my grandchildren to see their grandparents in the United States of America. And, uh, you know, airports are not very easy places to find a, a quiet spot to record. So I'm I'm huddled next to uh, a big uh, door that says trash only, solo basura underneath. No recycling, no reciclaje underneath it. And uh, a lot of very, very short, uh, very friendly uh, Latina ladies pushing enormous garbage carts past me. Uh, look at me. They, they look at me with a, an inquisitive uh, gaze as I sit huddled here talking into my microphone. But they don't think that I'm a, a terrorist. I don't think. They don't think that I'm a terrorist. You can't make jokes like that very loudly in an airport. This is just between you and me. Great show for you today. Great show. This is a, this is one from the vaults, one from the archives, one you can't hear anywhere else in the world, this recording. And it's a bit of a time capsule because it's from an era prior to the legalization of gay marriage in the United States and subsequently in Australia. It happened in 2015 thanks to the Supreme Court in the U.S. and 2017 thanks to a popular vote in uh, Australia. And it's with one of the key proponents of gay marriage uh, at an era, at a time, when it wasn't clear that it was going to happen anytime soon. And hearing him wrestle with that is, uh, I think, fascinating. The, uh, the man is Dan Savage. He's perhaps the world's most famous, respected, derided, infamous, provocative, and uh, brilliant sex advice columnist. A gay gentleman himself. Uh, for more than 30 years, he's written an internationally syndicated relationship and sex advice column called Savage Love. Get it? His name is Dan Savage. And for 17 years, he's been doing his blockbuster podcast, The Savage Love Cast, which is a a telephone call-in sex advice show. Wait, can you hear in the background one of these lovely ladies? I'm I'm just going to stop talking so you can hear one of these lovely uh, Latina cleaning ladies uh, in my vicinity. Tell you what, there's a lot going on in the garbage disposal unit of Denver Airport. If you ever want a job that doesn't lack for interest and excitement, I wholeheartedly recommend applying for a a garbage collection job at Denver Airport because everything's going on right here. Nonetheless, let's get back to the important issues of Dan Savage and me sitting down on a couch in a television studio in New York City because back in 2010, Dan created the It Gets Better project to help teenagers, especially queer teenagers, understand that life gets better when you grow up. And that project attracted It Gets Better videos from the likes of Hillary Clinton, even the then-President Barack Obama. And when I had my television interview show in New York City, Dan was kind enough to stop by the Manhattan studios for a chat. Now, if you do not hear the entirety of this episode and you are a paid subscriber... Make sure you've got your own private premium feed by going to uncomfortableconversations.substack.com 
slash podcast. Even if you haven't subscribed, now is your chance. I, I mean, really. If I have to endure the indignity of sitting by a trash receptacle in an airport waiting for my flight, and this is what I do for you, you can't be bothered pulling out your phone and going to uncomfortableconversations.substack.com slash podcast, throwing a few shekels my way, uh, pesos, as the case may be in my current climate. Uh, I hope you enjoy the one, the only, Dan Savage. He's the author of America's leading sex advice column, Savage Love. He's the host of the hugely popular Savage Love podcast and was co-founder of the Emmy Award-winning It Gets Better Project, the YouTube campaign that swept the internet in 2010 and continues on to this day. Already a best-selling author, he's now out this week with a new book, American Savage, Insights, Slights and Fights on Faith, Sex, Love and Politics. I love the long subtitle. Dan Savage is here. Welcome to Outpost Live. I'm going to call this segment Josh Sepps and Dan Savage, an intimate discussion about books with long subtitles. All my books have epic subtitles. I don't know what it is. Uh, it's a great book. I love it because it's so much in your voice. It's not a it's not a bio book. It's just sort of your rambling thoughts about a whole bunch of different things that Thank are you. dear to your heart. Uh, I'm interested in that. It, it you don't pull any punches in terms of profanity. You write no. like you speak. Right. Did that was that a problem with your editor or anything? Uh, no. I mean they knew what they're getting into. Yeah. Uh, I got a book deal, my first book deal, because my publisher was reading my column, which was even more profane than than this book or any book I've ever written. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, adults use profanity. Mm. Uh, fuck is in the New Yorker now. Yes. Uh, it certainly belongs in print. I, I hardly even think that it's a swear word anymore. It's right. A, it's such common usage. And we all need to grow up and use the language we actually use when we speak, which is what they tell you in writing classes. Like, mm. Use your voice, your actual authentic voice. And people's actual authentic voices involve a lot of, they throw in a lot of profanity. Fuck yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I told people that you were coming on the show, we had lots of celebrities all the time. I've never had anyone come on HuffPost Live who has garnered more people coming up to me and saying, oh my God, I can't believe you've got Dan Savage coming on. Oh, wow. So... When we have like a kind of support group for the easily impressed, like, yeah, Tony winning stars coming on, and the guy who talks about sex all the time is the is the number one catch. Did you ever dream that you would end up here? How did you get into this game? Uh, you know, I never. This is not my career path of choice. I and it was an accident. I met somebody who was starting a newspaper, and I said, "Oh, you should have an advice column because everybody reads those." And he said, "That is excellent advice. I want you to write my advice column." And I never, I hadn't thought about it. I hadn't really wanted to do it, but I had read Ann Landers all my life growing up, and then Xavier Hollander, The Happy Hook and Penthouse Magazine, which I used to steal from my brothers when I was a teenager. This is going all over my head, but, but fine. Well, she used to write a dirty, dirty sex advice column a million years ago. Okay. And I just started writing it, and at first it was going to be a joke. I was going to be a gay guy giving sex advice to straight people, and I was going to treat straight sex and straight people with the same revulsion and contempt that straight advice columnists had always treated gay people and gay sex with. Just, ew, icky. And that was the joke. Uh, but straight people loved it and started sending me lots of letters because this being treated with contempt was a new experience for mm. straight people as opposed to gay people around their sex lives. And the column just took off and ate my life. Does being gay give you any insight into that? Or, I mean, did that conceit, that kind of gag, actually evolve into some kind of special insight? Or do you think it's irrelevant either way? No, I do think it's relevant. Um, I like to say, uh, to piss off straight people, that gay people are better at sex, know more about sex, and have more sex, which is a double-edged sword. The having more sex, particularly for a gay man, can be a problem. But sex is what makes us not straight people. It's what sets us apart. We think about it. But also, gay people are better at sex not because we're magic, although we are that too, but that's not the reason we're better at sex, because we're forced to communicate. 
You know, when a man and a woman go to bed, usually they get to consent, like, yes, let us have sex. And all communication ceases because vaginal intercourse is the default assumption. And somebody has to speak up if they want to do something else. Uh, when two dudes go to bed together that, and get to yes, they get to consent, that's the beginning of the conversation. What's going to happen? It's not obvious. It's not tab A, slot B. You're <laughs> you going know, to have I think, to talk I it out. I actually think a lot of straight people would be surprised to hear you, think, you say that because I think a lot of straight people would just think, well, obviously you would just have sex. You would have penetrative sex. And, right? and also, but who? Who's going to get penetrated? Even right. that has to be negotiated. Right. And what also always blows street, a lot of straight people's minds, like something like 25 to a third, 25% or a third, 30-ish percent of all gay men never have anal sex. Mm. So there is no, for, for many gay men, there's no anal activity at all. And mm. straight people go, then what do you do? We do all these other really fun things that you can do too uh, that would improve your sex lives if you were doing that. And one of the things that you say in the book is, is that you think that a lot of the motivation, the anti-gay hysteria, is actually anti-anal sex hysteria. It's, it's anti, so if 30 or 40% of gay people aren't even having penetrative sex, and 40% of straight people are. Right. You know, and when you look at the total numbers, you know, gay people are a tiny percentage of the population, somewhere around 5%. And if 40% of straight people have had or are having anal sex, that means the vast and overwhelming majority of the buttfucking that's going on in America is heterosexual buttfucking. <laughs> Most of the Santorum that's being produced in rear ends in America is heterosexual Santorum. Okay, now some people will not know what the word Santorum means other than our political junkies who know it as a political person. So in the least but most graphic, in the least graphic way that still gets across what it is, just explain how you came to coin this phrase um, that is now a dictionary definition phrase that you've invented. For a sexual byproduct. Yeah, so what, uh, did, what, did Santorum, what did Santorum do? That In 2003, Santorum gave this infamous interview to the Associated Press where he compared uh, gay people in relationships, gay couples, to people who have sex with dogs or rape children. It, it, made an, it equated gay people with dog sexers and child rapists. And my readers thought we should have a contest to uh, re redefine his name. Uh, to punish him for this so he could never escape from or forget this, these horrible comments. He said something vile about us, let's say something vile about him. And the winning definition was a sexual byproduct, and I won't give the winning definition because it's really gross, <laughs> that didn't have a name but needed a name, and it's basically, you know, lube and whatever else is left in your rear end after you have anal sex. And this is now the official term for something If you Google Santorum have. for a decade, if you Googled Santorum, the first result was the new definition. It's still on the first page. And when he ran for president in 2012, there's all this writing everywhere about Santorum's Google mm. problem. Because anybody who was like, oh, who's this guy who's running for president? I think yeah. I'll Google him. The first thing they were going to see was this new definition. Is that a source of pride? Absolutely. Um, you know, we're no longer the LGBT community, queers, straight people who are our allies. Uh, no longer just going to get punched in the face by bigots like Rick Santorum without taking a swing back. And we took a pretty effective swing back at Rick Santorum. One of the things that you talk about is how religious people will, will claim that you're sort of bullying them. You know, you, after you gave that, that, that speech where mm -hmm. oh, the, you know, he's being a bully towards us, and you talk about the, the kind of weird inversion where merely criticizing a religious person is construed as bullying when all you're doing is standing up for the fact that they're bullying you. Yeah, it, it, they, have, they want to redefine self-defense as some sort of hypocritical... Uh, retaliatory bullying. You know, if you're against violence, how can you punch that guy? But you said you're anti-violence, but that guy was punching me. Yeah, that was self-defense. Violence and self-defense is permissible. When we get in the faces of people who are calling us sick, sinful, perverted, and also uh, distorting and warping and harming us, you know, the lack of access to marriage rights for same-sex couples isn't just we don't get to have cake in a wedding. It's that on our deathbeds, our partners are dragged from our hotel rooms in handcuffs, which just happened. Although the cake in the wedding is a big bonus. It's it. nice, but it's the rights that are important that are denied us. And real-world couples, Edie Windsor, the woman who's suing, uh, case all over the Supreme Court, real-world human beings suffer 
because of this lack of access to rights. And when we push back hard against that, they're like, oh my god, you're bullies. Speaking yes. of ED, is, uh, is 2013 going to be the, year, the most important year for gay rights? I mean, the Supreme Court has DOMA coming up. What do you, what's your prediction? Uh, I think we're going to get DOMA overturned, fingers crossed, but I think they're going to punt on Prop 8. They're not going to legalize. We're not going to get a gay Roe v. Wade for marriage where they legalize it in all 50 states. Would you want that? I'm not sure. There's a lot of debate about whether that would be wise or unwise. What's your take? I mean, do you think that moving too fast is a risk, or, do you, or do you, are you one of those people who say, look, a right is a right is a right. Just give us a right. I think I can, I'm going to say both. A right is a right is a right, but I think if I think we need to take the long view and wait 20 years. Not wait 20, 20 years? Well, 20 years for all the states. You know, if we overturn DOMA, right. then gay couples who live in states that have marriage equality are, are have full civil equality um, federally and at and the state And you'd be level. cool with it taking 20 years to drag Alabama I, no, not, kicking and screaming into I am not the cool 21st with it. century? I am not cool with it, but I want the change to happen. And I don't think it'll take 20 years because the pace of change is so rapid. What I think is happening right now in 2013 is we've reached this tipping point on LGBT civil rights. We've reached, you know, pro athletes coming out. Um, the pro soccer player who went in last week for the LA Galaxy and... Um, the pro basketball player who just came out, and three states legalizing marriage for same-sex couples at the ballot box, and then three in the legislature just in the last six months. We're reaching this tipping point, and, yeah. and we're going to win. And I just worry that a Roe v. Wade-style decision on gay marriage would inspire such a backlash that there would be some, re some you know, back... Sliding. Do you feel that the 2013 is sort of a year? I almost feel like this is like this is the last moment. We've just we've just seen the end of the last moment at which it was pub publicly acceptable to be anti-gay. I feel like it's no longer acceptable among polite society, or even in politics. Do, yeah. do you think that that's that we're at that kind of point? Yes, and I'm really old and really weird. I'm 48, and I remember when I was a kid watching Firing Line with my dad when I was like six, seven years old. And it was a time when you could still go on TV and argue against interracial marriage, argue against integration, condemn the Civil Rights Act, condemn Martin Luther King, and be welcome back next week because you're a respectable member of society and you had a legit political position that you wanted to argue. And then we reached a tipping point. You couldn't argue that stuff anymore. The culture decided sort of en masse, made up its mind that interracial marriage was okay and anyone who was opposed it was a bigot, that uh, integration was okay, and anyone who posed it was a bigot, and you couldn't criticize Martin Luther King and call him a communist and an agitator um, and divisive anymore. And we're reaching that same tipping point on LGBT issues. Mm -hmm. right now.